Hey there, friend. Today's episode is an exciting one. I am chatting with my good friend, Rebecca Richardson from The Mortgage Mentor, and we are talking all things home buying. Rebecca is a mortgage lender who has over 20 years of industry experience in real estate. She also is licensed in 30 states. She has a wealth of knowledge I can't wait to tap into. Before we get started, I also have to give a disclaimer. She is not giving you any specific advice. She does not know your specific financial situation. So please take everything that is talked about here as a guide for you to do more research and talk to a lender directly. Cool? All right, let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to the Saving Wiz podcast. I'm your host, Gina Zachariah. I'm a wife, mom of two, personal finance educator, and the OG Saving Wiz. I'm here to help you navigate this world of money so you can afford a life you love. Together, we'll break down dense money topics and translate them into easy-to-digest action steps so you can easily implement them into your life right after every episode. Grab your favorite drink and let's chat about money. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. How did you get started in lending and real estate? And tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So when I was in college for my junior and senior year, I had worked for a financial planner because I had read some books and I thought it was very interesting being a financial planner was a new concept to me. So I talked my way into a practice and then wound up working for him, going to school full-time and working for him 30 hours a week. We were at the Tennessee, Kentucky border. And so after graduation, I moved um, to Middle Tennessee because my husband was in the Army. So that's a much different area than Chapel Hill, North Carolina, near, near Chapel Hill. We had wound up buying a home using his VA loan. And I had asked my realtor, I said, okay, you helped us get a home. Can you now help me get a job? So he said, go over to this mortgage company. You could be a processor, which is the, kind of the operational person that helps a loan get from start to finish. So I show up, talk my way into an interview, and the owner of the company says, you want a job that's not available and you don't know what you're doing? Yes. Sign me up. That sounds great. (laughs) And from there, basically explained to me what a mortgage originator was. And my dad was a real estate attorney, so I was able to lean on him as well for some market knowledge and things like that. So I literally started from ground zero. I had basic knowledge of a mortgage because I'd gotten my own and then learned basically as I was going. And so that was 20 years ago. Wow. And what kept you in that field? What was the thing that made you feel like this is the thing that I know that like, I want to stay in? Because I I know that I can make a tangible difference in somebody's life. I think having that financial planner background that started for me when it opened up so many doors to understand how you could leverage money to help reach larger goals and things like that. I knew what the power of it was and that excited me. And then also from the standpoint, and I still feel this way, is everybody's scenario is like a Rubik's cube. So it's very satisfying to kind of get all those pieces jumbled up and arrange them and organize them. So they make sense because you turn everything and it just sort of unlocks and it works. And it's still a lot of fun for me. That sounds actually like a lot of fun. I know that like there's some lenders out there that just do it where it's just like cookie cutter approach, but I love that you personalize it and make it so that it's incredibly unique and tailored to that person so that they feel more comfortable too. What would you say out of the 20 years that you've been in this industry? 
what are some of your pet peeves that people should know about? So like, if there's someone that is listening right now that wants to buy a home, right. these are some of the things you probably shouldn't do so that your lender stays on your side, right? <laughs> I think, I mean, from a standpoint, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have pet peeves from the standpoint of, you know, just kind of complaining about client behavior because they, they don't do this all the time. I do this all the time. So, so I understand that. So there, there's some things sort of like, please don't send a screenshot, please send a PDF. So it's a clear image of whatever documentation we need, but they don't know that, right? They're not doing this all the time. They don't understand how many iterations of review a file has to go through. So we've got to make sure that those files are clear, but I would say probably my biggest pet peeve is, and also with the empathy of understanding that they haven't done this before, a lot of times is that people will treat buying a house almost kind of like a car because that's the closest thing that they have to equate it to is you go and you find the car that you want and then you discuss financing. That's, that's people's experience. Really with buying a home, it has to work reverse. You really need to have that finance conversation first and then go find the home. Because especially in the market that we're in with um, such limited inventory and things like that, if you're waiting until you find the home to get ready, you're already too late or it's going to be a process that's really trying to be pushed through and is not going to be as easy and quick and lower stress as it can be if you're kind of putting those things out of order. So that's probably my biggest thing or my biggest cautionary tale is take the time needed to get ready before you start shopping. That's really interesting. I've never heard it explained that way. I love the way that you broke it down. So it is almost the opposite of buying a car. And the fact that you also, when you're looking for your financing, you'll also determine what price point you're at. So it's easier Correct. for you to buy a house too, right? Correct. Because a lot of times, again, when people are are looking at a car, it's more, why would I go through all the hassle and multiple credit pulls and kind of that experience until I find something that I really want? Mm. And I get that, but it is a different process when you're buying a home. And by being able to do that upfront work, we can make sure that you're searching in the right price point. And it's not just about the price of the home, but really more importantly, how does this payment or how does this projected payment fit into your budget? Not what I tell you, you can qualify for, but really like you talk about your budget because it's a personal decision. You need to know that it works for you. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of debate, especially in the finance world right now between people renting and people buying. And I know that there's a lot of controversy. Some people are saying that you don't necessarily have to buy to still be wealthy, which is totally true. But there are some things that I think are confusing and there's a lot of gray area there. What are your thoughts on all of that? I think like everything when it comes to personal finances, it's personal. For some people, renting is the more comfortable decision because they don't know how long they're going to live in a city, or maybe their city is ridiculously expensive to have enough down payment in order to buy. Or maybe the thought of, of ownership where something breaks, it's on you. So I think that they're kind of two ends of sort of that spectrum of people that are out there saying, everybody should buy. It's the only way to wealth. Buy, 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 buy. If you're renting, you should be buying all of that. 
which I don't identify with that end of it, because I think that that's a little reckless and not getting into the additional costs of homeownership, because that is a practical thing. And then on the other end, it's nobody can buy, you should only rent because owning a home is so expensive, or even the upfront cost of buying a home is so expensive. And, And the reality is somewhere there in the middle is that for most Americans, the way that they develop wealth is through real estate. So investing is absolutely important and all of those kind of things, but owning real estate is kind of forced investing and also normally home prices go up. So you're going to be paying an expense, a housing expense you're going to have anyway. You might as well get some, some benefit back from it. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say would be some of the myths that trip people up when it comes to buying their first home? The number one One is (laughs) that you need a large down payment. Mm -hmm. Still, a lot of people will think that you need 20% down. You need 20% down payment or maybe not that you don't need it, but that the message is that if you don't have 20%, then you're not as good of a buyer. The average down payment for first-time home buyers is around 7%. And with first-time home buyers, there are programs where it can be as little as zero to 5%. So it's important to understand, particularly right now, just kind of in the economic environment that we're in, you're probably better off maybe even putting less down. Let's say that you do have 10% down. You may be better off putting a little bit less down and leaving more aside as an emergency fund. And all of those are very, very valid ways to buy a home. There's also this idea that if you save the 20%, sometimes you're kind of pulling yourself out of the game at a time when the prices are just right. And by the time you save the 20%, the prices are so high and you can't afford where you could have afforded if you had talked to a lender and figured out that you didn't need the whole 20%. Correct. There's some very helpful calculators, some that, that I've used with clients before. It's called the buy versus wait calculator. And it is hosted by one of the mortgage insurance companies, but it's very helpful to be able to plug in. This is what my current rent is. This is how much I can save. This is what I think that I want to buy. And you can literally see how much time will need to pass for you to save up to 20% versus how much more you'll pay in rent versus what average appreciation will do for the value of the home and really where that break-even point is. And a lot of times, most people are better off buying now versus waiting just simply because it's going to take longer to save up that 20% versus getting that appreciation of going ahead and buying and then seeing your home go up in value. Yeah. I know personally for us, we didn't have 20% when we bought our home and we had the FHA loan, the Mm 3.5% and we moved in with the 3.5%. Yeah. We had the PMI, the Mm -hmm. mortgage insurance, Mm -hmm. but in two years we were able to refinance, get rid of the mortgage insurance because at the time that we bought within a year, our equity had skyrocketed. Right. So we were able to eliminate that PMI, which is what the 20% initially does, right? Correct. Sometimes a reframing of thinking about what PMI is. And in my book, I think it's a way to leverage money. People talk about using other people's money. It's a way to use other people's money. So then you can capture that appreciation because that's actual money in your pocket. Then when you go to sell that you wouldn't have had access to if you didn't buy when you bought. Very true. I think a lot of people think PMI is like, you have to avoid PMI. It's like the worst thing you can do. And sometimes it really isn't. It's one way that you can get your foot in the door, so to speak. Correct. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
What would you say from your experience are some of the important steps that can help better prepare someone who's buying a home for the first time? I think starting earlier than you think you might need to start. Meaning I talk with clients anywhere from four to 12 months before they think that they want to buy. And that might seem exceedingly early, but in my book, I think that it's very helpful because one, either it just confirms that they're already on the right track, right? Yes. They're looking at the right price point for where they want their payment to be down payment, closing costs, all those kind of things. You were totally on track. Credit looks awesome. Keep on keeping on until you're timing up with the end of your lease or whatever, whatever kind of that threshold is in your life that makes it make sense. If that's not the case, then they have even more time to maybe make some of those tweaks. Maybe it's pay down the credit card a little bit each month. Maybe it's save a little bit more. Maybe it's talk to your employer about what options you would have to have more guaranteed hours or whatever the case may be. And just the more time that we have, then it has less of a a dramatic impact on somebody's life. So that's my advice is always start early. A lot of people think that they need to have a fully formed plan sometimes before they come to a lender, right? So if they say, I think I want to do this, or I think I want to do that. And let's say that when I'm looking at all of their details, if that's not possible, that I'm just going to say no, or that a lender is just going to say no. And really part of our job is to kind of like that Rubik's cube, take those pieces and arrange them so they make sense. So maybe it's not this exact thing, but maybe we can do this and make it work. But there's kind of this perception that they have to be very clear on what their strategy is. And it's more, I just want to be clear on what your goals are and what your intent is. And then I will help you craft a way to get there. And by again, starting earlier, we just have a longer runway. And then the other thing is to have a budget. So this is definitely in your world, in your love language is I could tell you all day long what you qualify for, but that doesn't mean that that's the right fit. It's really more important for somebody to understand how their budget works and where their money priorities are. Maybe maybe they are comfortable with a higher house payment because they're a homebody. They love their home. That is a purposeful priority for their money and that's fine. Or maybe it's, I just want a safe place, clean place to live, but I'm never there because I'm out doing this or doing that or I travel or going to all of the dog parks or whatever the case may be, then great. But you need to know what, how you spend your money. So then we can work the mortgage around that versus I would hate for somebody to get into a home and go, oh my gosh, this payment is so expensive. Yay. I'm a homeowner. I did it, but I can't live. That's not a successful journey in my book. There's a way that we can find a win-win. What your budget looks like on a day-to-day basis and priorities that are coming up. Your lender doesn't necessarily know that they just see what's on paper, right? So they're pre-qualifying you for an amount that may not be realistic, with your living day-to-day expenses or your comfort zone. So you have to use that almost like a guideline, but kind of figure out what works best for you based on your specific budget. Sometimes people know that they may be ready to turn that side hustle into, you know, full-time employment. Well, if that's on the horizon for one to two years, not to get too philosophical about it, but I really don't want somebody to feel that because of a large debt payment that they can't go and dream big. Right. Right. Having that conversation with your lender of not just the short-term goals, maybe of getting into a home, but also let's talk about how that payment is going to look over the next several years based off of whatever may be coming up. I love that you're creating a relationship with your clients. So I know buying a home, usually the first person that you think of 
when you're going to buy a home is the real estate agent, right? Right. The person that's going to show you the homes, but that's not necessarily just the most important piece. The lender is also a really major part in playing and playing that, um, playing that role for you to get you into the right price point, to get you the right right qualification criteria, all that stuff. So a lot of people don't think of the lender. They always think of, okay, I need to get a real estate agent first. Right. right? Because the lender is just a means to an end, right? Do Mm. do I have the pre-approval letter? Can I go shop for the home? Because frankly, the home is the fun part. I I get that. I mean, mortgages can be a very, very boring subject. I personally find them interesting. So let me be excited for you. (laughs) But when you think about it in the larger sense of financial literacy and awareness, it represents both the asset side of your balance sheet and also your liability side. So we need to give it that attention. So then you can go get to the fun stuff of finding the home, yes. that fits in that. <laughs> but we've got to at least have those conversations and slow down enough to make sure that it's a good decision versus just kind of getting to the, oh my gosh, I've got a house. Like I want it to be good after you get the house. Yeah. After the excitement wears off, you've realized, okay, I've made a really solid choice in the type of loan that I got and everything that I got. So what would you say when someone is shopping for a lender, what should they watch out for? Is there some type of checklist to know that this is a lender that does care about their well-being? There's not necessarily a checklist, but I would say that it's kind of like developing a relationship with anybody else. It's on, I call them sort of your, your board of directors, right? You might have somebody, a tax professional that you really trust working with somebody that's a budget coach. You just, you get a good feeling from them, you know, that they're given from a place of good advice and care and concern. There is a website that you can check. You can search NMLS Consumer Access. That stands for National Mortgage Licensing System. And you can actually check the history of a loan officer. So we all deserve a start. Believe me, like I said, I mean, I was released to the wild when I was 23 as a loan officer. But you want to look for somebody that has some levels of experience, a few years of experience from the standpoint of there's so much that we have to know about guidelines and how things work and the logistics around closing on time. You want somebody that's been doing that for a little while so they can actually coach you through versus just being an order taker. Basically, you want somebody that can truly be an advisor. You can Google their name, see what kind of reviews maybe that they have on Google or Yelp to get a sense of what they're like to work with. And it is always a good idea to ask your real estate agent for a referral or friends, families, or, you know, colleagues, just from the standpoint, it's a very personal relationship. So you want to make sure that somebody is looking out for your interests and not just trying to kind of generate a commission check. How in today's market, the rates are expected to climb. And I think last week they actually climbed really high, right? My least favorite subject right now. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's get into it. (laughs) So there are a lot of people still holding onto that hope that home prices are going to plummet, <laughs> what what a good time is to buy and not buy. What are your right. thoughts on all of that? Because I know right now the housing industry is kind of like, it, it's, it's moving on a constant basis. So I can probably talk a little bit easier about the rates. And then, and then I'll talk about the housing market. From a rate perspective, we were really at historic lows for a sustained period for multiple reasons, but that was never going to last. It is a sign of a healthier economy when rates aren't as low as they were. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the trade-off of that. I don't believe that we're on a runaway train for mortgage rates. I don't think that we're going to be in the fives or something come the end of the year. All the projections have us in the high threes, low fours. That's still very, very low. That does not feel low if you started your home search and they were at 2.875. So I, I get that. 
but after a lender who has weathered all kinds of markets, yes, 2008, but also when we've had major shifts over the course of a week and rates change by a quarter, sometimes even a half, it's, it's very disruptive, but it does settle down. We do get kind of into this new zone and it it's not quite as volatile. So we have that sort of volatile shift and then it settles down. I think that we're kind of in that new sort of settled down range. I don't think that 30 year fixed in the twos are coming back, but if you have a rate in the threes, that's still a great rate. Good rule of thumb to make sure that people are like, well, how do I know that I'm getting a good rate? Because I see all these crazy low rates online or these clickbait rates, or my friend got this or whatever the case may be. Again, personal finance is personal. And I know I preach that all the time, but you have to understand that rates are not one size fits all. There are about a dozen different factors that go into how a rate is determined, not just when you lock your rate. I mean, there are all these kind of different details of the loan that affect that rate. So that's why it's good to at least get two opinions to, you know, at least get two quotes from mortgage companies. So you can see what are the rates? What am I paying for that rate? Meaning what are those lender costs and compare those really side by side. And you can kind of get a sense of what is reasonable for your scenario. So from a home value housing market standpoint, everybody's always worried when values go up quickly, like they did in 2020 and 2021, or thinking that this is 2008 all over again. Again, as somebody who lived through it personally, bought a house in it personally, lended throughout it, it it is scary. I mean, right? Like we've we've got some emotional damage from it, I think, but it is not the same. And it's not the same because structurally underneath the industry is not the same. From the standpoint, there's not an overabundance of supply like there was. When there's overabundance of supply, that brings the prices down. There's also not as many sketchy loan programs, basically, for for a non-technical word, where people were doing low down payments, high loan to value, low credit scores, not evaluating income, not evaluating employment. All of those things are basically like, if you have a pulse and you have some money, show up and we'll give you a home. That doesn't happen anymore. Just because home values maybe aren't going up as high, or maybe home values are stagnant, or maybe if home values go down a little bit, if my home value goes down, that doesn't mean I'm going to do anything different because I still need my home. I can still pay my bills for people that maybe are struggling, which is very much a reality. If they are homeowners, they probably have more equity in their home and could sell versus foreclose. Like in 2008, there was just so much inventory that home values went down and then people were in loans that they weren't able to pay. And so that was kind of the perfect storm of what caused that. So that is not what we're seeing. Um, right now, in addition to there's still so much demand. So there's such little inventory of homes. There's still so much demand. The biggest cohort that's buying homes right now were born in 1981 to 2010. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest home buyer. So millennials. Oh yeah. Um, this is the biggest, it's the biggest home buyer cohort right now. They want to buy home. They've been, they've been saving, they're well-researched, and that, I think the pandemic is, also kind of yes. increased the home buying because people are home and they're like, okay, I want a yard. I want to be able to have some yes. freedom and space, right? Yes. And and now that we're all, you know, working from home, people, people want to make sure that those, those places are good places to be. So yes. um, it is scary. I think when we see a big run up the way that we have, but I don't, I don't think that we're seeing on the edge of a cliff. I just, it's just mathematically not there. Well, that's good. We get some yeah. peace of mind, right? Yes. So this is really interesting because a lot of first time home buyers may not even understand or realize that even just a quarter of a percent in interest rate makes a a difference in your housing payment. So for $300,000, 
as the loan and we're at 3% interest rate, what does that payment look like versus three and a quarter? So I'll use kind of where we are with rates right now as of today. <laughs> I'll give that disclaimer. Okay. But let's say that it's a loan amount of 300,000 at three and a half, right? Three and a half percent. So the principal and interest rate should be right around 1350. So that's just principal and interest, no taxes, insurance. And then if it goes up, if the rate goes up to 3.75, the payment only goes up to 1390. So oh. the quarter, the quarter difference in rate feels and sounds very significant. But when you're thinking about a loan that's being spread out over 30 years, that shift or that shift in rate isn't as significant in payment. Obviously, every dollar counts. I get that in a year, that's about $500 over the life of loan. Yes, it does add up. But I wouldn't want somebody to not take the advantage of home ownership because rates moved a little bit. You just have to see where that payment is now and then how that fits into your budget. I don't think I realized that it was actually not that significant of a number. It seems scary when you think, oh my gosh, yes. it went up a whole quarter of a percent. But then when you look at it, because it's 30 years and it's the life of the loan, yes. it's actually not going to be so drastic of a change. That's yes. really interesting. And that's a, another kind of along that, if we're going to get really mathy for just a second, I think it's also helpful for people to understand that about every $10,000 difference in your loan amount is only about $50 a month in payment. That's a really good way to look at it. If somebody is maybe not getting qualified for what they want, because maybe maybe I can't count your part-time job because you haven't had it long enough or whatever the case may be, right? You're comfortable with the payment that it fits in your budget, but you're not getting pre-approved for it. By eliminating consumer debt, credit card debt, or maybe a small personal loan or something like that, let's say you've got $1,000 on a credit card and your minimum payment's $50. You pay off that $1,000, you've got a lot more that you can qualify on your mortgage. So it's a different way to leverage money. A lot of people think, oh, I'll need to put a lot more down, right? Most of the time you can free up that cash flow, you can free up that that qualification ratio by paying off other debt versus putting it towards the mortgage. Again, because it's being spread out over 30 years. So it's a great incentive for you guys to pay off debt. That's right. Along those lines, talk to a lender before you're paying off debt. Because one, if you pay off a card and you close it, or if you pay off an account and close it, that could drop your score. Just by looking at somebody's situation holistically, we can give better advice on being very strategic with where that money is going versus thinking that you have to pay off all that debt and then not have what you need for the purchase or vice versa. Maybe you don't need as much for the purchase, but you can put it towards the debt. And that's why I think your tip in the beginning, when you were talking about coming through talking to a lender six to 12 months prior to you purchasing a home right. or thinking about it is a great idea because it allows you to prepare ahead of time. But I always say when you're paying off debt that you never close your credit card no. because it has your debt history there and your yes. payment history. And that makes a huge difference. Instead, what you can do so that you don't get into debt again is use that credit card and charge one subscription to it that you are going to charge anyway every month and then just pay it off every month so that you're constantly having a revolving credit. And then that way your credit score, it may dip a tiny bit, but it won't plummet if you were to close the account. Because once you close the account, you lose that history. Yes. (laughs) I wholeheartedly support that. I absolutely love all of your TikTok videos. I think that you. you are really 
good about breaking down really dense topics like mortgage and lending and interest rates, and you make them really fun to understand. And your videos are amazing. If you guys haven't been following her, she is the mortgage mentor on TikTok and Instagram. So make sure that you guys are following her there. I will leave all of her links in the show notes and I will leave the link to the NMLS. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that you guys have that as well. Some of the other resources that I recommend for buyers, one is cfpb.gov. So that's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I know that sounds exceedingly dry, but there's actually a lot of really good helpful information on things like mortgage explanations, how to read an estimate, things to look at, credit tips. So those, those are very, very good tips. If you're wanting to kind of stay up to speed on everything that's going on in real estate, I really like Housing Wire. So that is a good kind of industry specific, but it's not so technical that it's again, really, really dry, but you can kind of get a sense of what's going on in real estate and all of that. And if someone wants to get a hold of you and have like a one-on-one, maybe just a chat to figure out where they are in the process. I know that you're licensed in 25 states, right? 30 now. I just added five more. Yes. (laughs) So you're licensed in 30 states. So more than likely they'll be able to at least get information from you. I think that once they talk to you, they'll get a better idea and a better sense of where they are in the process. And it will be a great first step for them. Yes. Absolutely. My calendar is linked in my bio along with some other resources, mortgage calculators, things like that. And then my direct website is RebeccaRichardsonMortgage.com. Awesome. And I will leave all those links in the show notes for you guys so that you guys can get a hold of her and follow her because she has some really amazing videos and content for you. And you can learn so much just by following her. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. This has been an amazing chat. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you leave a review, I'll love you forever. Remember, today is yours. So make it count. I'll see you in the next one. Bye for now.